This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Driving Outcomes, your source for inspired solutions to address the most pressing leadership concerns of today. On each episode, we examine the latest developments in applied research and education and how it impacts your business and social outcomes. Our host, Tracy Shirachi, brings you conversations with groundbreaking researchers, educators, and business leaders who are changing the face of leadership every day. And now, here's Tracy. Hi, everyone. I have the pleasure today of introducing Cynthia Fig, who is the founder and CEO of CSR Hub. And Cynthia, I'd love for you to share with the audience and the listeners um, exactly what is CSR Hub and when did you start it and how did you come up with the idea? And just for individuals reference, CSR um, usually refers to corporate social responsibility. So in the context of CSR Hub, we can talk more about that, but just so that everyone who's listening is familiar with similar terminology or definition or references, and we're not just talking an acronym. So anyway, I'll hand it to you to just share with the individuals, what is CSR Hub? Sure. Thank you so much, Tracy. It's great to speak with you. And I'm delighted to uh, talk a little bit about CSR Hub and, and maybe it would be helpful to just take a step back. I'd, I'd like to give you a, a little sense of the journey uh, along the way. I, um, I had a great opportunity to work in technology and with a wireless company. Um, and when that company was sold to become AT&T Wireless, I went on to uh, really explore and become involved in the sustainability movement. It was very, very exciting. Um, this was the late 90s. Um, and so I was early in, in this um, whole domain. Um, and I began working with companies to help them understand um, what is sustainability, what is CSR, how do we even wrap our arms around this and, and integrate it into our core business strategy. And one thing led to another. I began to help companies really publish, produce and publish their first CSR reports. This was the, the sort of the, the door that opened into um, understanding the world of data, metrics, ratings. And as companies were grappling with uh, this, um, and I became uh, more involved in really understanding that journey of telling your story and trying to communicate the work that you were doing, um, I also um, started thinking about how complex that whole system is of ratings and rankings. And um, that led to really co-founding CSR Hub. I co-founded CSR Hub with a very close friend um, that I went to business school with. Um, and we, we really had a vision at that time of helping to bring together all the disparate data that was out there already. And this was literally in 2007. So this is quite a few years ago. And to help companies understand how they were being perceived in the market from many, many different uh, stakeholders and perspectives. Um, we had a vision of bringing together this disparate data, aggregating it, and then providing ratings to the market. And um, we started with two sources, and today we have over 700 sources of ratings data. 
uh, we're rating 19,000 companies worldwide. And we provide a service that helps people really benchmark and understand how are they performing, how they perceived, um, how do they compare with their peers, their competitors, best in class. And then we started also serving other markets as well. So that was the beginning of the journey. Which I think is amazing because I think a lot of discussions today, there's um, there's so many different, like you said, methodologies or ways in which um, individuals are defining you know, these metrics and defining the definitions. And because there's so many different ways, it's really hard to zero in on one common denominator or one single approach and really work on that, so to speak. And then how do you improve that process to really drive maybe deeper results? Or in our world as evaluators, we like to say, rather than focusing on output, right, in terms of the, um, in terms of what individuals are focusing on from ESRG or CSR, um, factors, but looking at like the outcomes, right? And so, but the hard part yeah. is really what you're saying where there's, I think you just said 700 different <laughs> approaches and that's not even all of them, right? I mean, there's private firms out there that also have their intellectual property or their approach that they haven't yet shared. So those are just the 700 that are publicly sharing that they're around or they're available, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. No, I think it's a really, you know, I think when we started this, we could already start to see that managing this ecosystem was really challenging for companies. And, but we, and we had probably the audacity to, to say that we were going to become a big data site, but I don't think we, we really could have even seen how much data there would be and how disparate um, the, uh, the ways in which these raters are looking at companies. So I think one of the things that we've tried to do in bringing all this data together into a hub is to actually provide a way to, to, to get consensus. Mm-hmm. Consensus has been um, one of our goals. It, we're always kind of looking at where do these different stakeholders, how do they, where do they agree and then trying to come up with ways to help companies compare their performance apples to apples. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in a sense, we're a part of this kind of feedback loop where a company uh, has a, has, is working hard on their environment, social and governance. They're uh, hopefully telling their story. Transparency has become a major part of this. Mm-hmm. They're dealing with different frameworks and, and trying to report out um, metrics and, and um, qualitative factors. And then as they put that into the market and they're rated uh, often by analysts that are serving investors, we are taking that data, that investor-facing data, and we're also combining it with many, many specialized data sets that are in the public domain. Mm -hmm. They could be produced by nonprofit organizations. They might be best of lists. They might be indexes. And then we're bringing all that together um, and trying to make sense of it. Which I think is really significant. I mean, I was on a call yesterday with a colleague and we're talking about impact investing. And one of the conversations that we're talking about was really related to a lot of the reporting practices are coming more from the financial services side or from the financial services industry. But how do you really incorporate like the social aspect of measurement 
that the social sector is very well versed in trying to um, wrap their head around that. And really, how do you share that, those practices? And like you said, find the common denominator such that we can get better at more deeply measuring some of these things rather than saying, oh, it's not possible to measure how well community is doing. It is possible. It's gathering information, right? It's analyzing information and it's just the approach or methodology by which that's done. But I think, like you said, there's so many different like versions of that, that you, for anybody who's looking to start, it's like, where do I start? And how do I look at 700 different like approaches and how do I know which one's best? Right. So I think what's really significant about the work you're doing is like you said, you're finding the common denominator across those approaches and helping to kind of streamline that discussion so that individuals can start somewhere. What I'm curious to know is, I mean, there's some companies that don't even know that you're doing this, which I think is really important that they know that they have a rating I know when we first met, we were looking at a couple of companies and I wasn't even sure if some of those companies knew that they had a rating. So it's part of the effort of your growth strategy or your expansion is really also an education component where companies may not even acknowledge that just because they don't do a social impact report or maybe they do, but they don't even realize that it's being analyzed or looked at in this way. Um, It helps to inform them, like you said, the feedback loop. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the decisions that we made early on was that we would rate companies, you know, whether they liked it or not, um, and that we would try to expand our coverage over time based on the data that was out there. And so as we as we got a critical mass of data sources, particularly what we call the majors, and these are some of these kind of what I'll call Wall Street, you know, analyst sources, but many other very valuable data sets as well. As we um, were able to bring these together, we were able to cover more and more companies. So now we're rating 19,000 companies, but we're also covering about 46,000. And in many of those companies, we actually don't have enough data to, to fully rate them. Um, and we're always encouraging companies to be more transparent, to put data out in the market. Um, and we know how challenging that is because there are multiple frameworks that they can use and there is different demands from their own stakeholders. But I think that um, we do talk with people all the time that say they didn't know they were rated. Um, they don't know who their raters are. Um, and, and they're really at the almost, you know, they're really starting a journey. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're beginning, you know, they're really learning about this. And so even though some of us have been at this for a decade or two, um, there's a lot of companies that are coming, you know, into this now. And, and they're trying to, I think, understand what's required. They're trying to adapt. And I think that a lot of this has been pushed because CEOs and boards are starting to put pressure. There's much deeper integration of this data into the mainstream um, this is no longer, you know, just socially responsible. This is a part of legitimate, you know, uh, transparency. Kind of con- yeah. transparency in consideration of what it means to be a great company. Well, and I think there's also a transition going on too, where like individuals are more interested to see what exactly the impact of a company is having, not only on the direct consumer, right, but on community and socially and what changes are actually occurring as a result of these initiatives. Like we're deploying a lot of resources. I think 
I've had conversations with individuals recently where we're acknowledging we're deploying a lot of resources of time and money to different things yeah. to change things socially or community wise or globally or government or, you know, just in general community to affect positive change. But how do we really know that these changes are actually occurring? Like we're hopeful, right? We, if we don't deploy resources at all, then nothing's going to change. We know that much, right? But we don't right. really know exactly what type of changes are occurring. And I think um, individuals are interested in knowing that and now picking up sustainability reports and impact reports and diving deeper. I mean, I had one of my colleagues read a 175 page report and picked up things that I would never have picked up on. But I mean, the consumer, the party that's reading it has a totally different view on what transparency and you know, public relations and marketing should be. It's not just, oh, we're doing great things as a company. They really want to validate that. Like they really want to know yeah. the integrity of that company inside and out. And especially I think in how media responds to, I mean, media will pick up a sound bite and run with it. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, PR departments within a company are trying to put out that fire, right? So yeah. it's become, I think, a lot more critical, but I think what you're also acknowledging and what we're seeing in the environment is the individual desperately wants to know if a company says they're doing something good, exactly what are you doing? And it's not just, oh, here yeah. are the list of all my programs or initiatives I'm doing. And the consumer's kind of skeptical. That's nice. You're throwing a lot of money at something. But they want to know, like, right. how are you changing people's lives? Are they socioeconomically better off? Are they worse off? Things like that. So yeah. I think it's really interesting to work with you because these companies can not only learn about where do they stand, right? Where, what does my rating look like? What is it being pulled from? But where do I go from here to deepen exactly. those results? And, and who is it that are the major drivers of those conversations there's I don't I don't have that answer to that question because I think there's like you said 700 different parties but I think what's great by your company kind of collectively bringing all those parties together is hopefully we come to a more better answer that's consistent in terms of leadership and in terms of something to follow and then improve that over time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the biggest use cases that we get, whether we're talking to companies directly, uh, advisory firms that are working closely with clients that are trying now to, to integrate ESG into other factors, you know, they're, maybe they're working on their, as you say, their PR strategy or their governance strategy, or they're working on their, their environmental strategy. Um, and then we're also, you know, I think we're, we're working uh, on we're seeing ESG penetrate more, um, more places, credit ratings, uh, insurance um, consideration, um, how uh, a company, how strong their brand is. All of these things ESG is now uh, becoming a part of. And so companies have so many important you know, stakeholders and so many ways in which they're being judged. Um, and so, yeah, they really want they want to take this and they really, the, the driving force is improvement. How do, how do we continue? How do we respond to these market forces and this feedback? Mm -hmm. And how do we start to 
um, shift our strategy, emphasize uh, pieces of it that maybe we're lagging in, that kind of thing. And I think that's been exciting. I kind of call it a virtuous loop because I think that when companies are getting pressure from their customers, they're getting pressure from their own employees, that's for sure that is a major part of change of the change process. But they're also getting communities uh, that are involved. They are typically um, getting feedback because they're doing work um, voluntarily in the community. So, so that's an important source. And then, of course, as we all know, um, investors, if they're if they have investors or um, just you know the the license to operate. Um, so all of this is, and it's complex. I mean, I think one of the things that we we did really early on is we looked at some of these important frameworks like the Global Reporting Initiative, and we kind of looked at the schema and what what um, that how that was structured. So what we did is we developed a categorization where we uh, looked at performance in the environment mm-hmm. and also in governance, but we we split social into kind of outward looking the community and more inward looking uh, how a company is treating its employees. And in that outward look, we're looking at things like what is the social impact of the products and services on society? Um, How is a company dealing with human rights and its supply chain? And what is a company doing philanthropically? How is it impacting the the community where it works? So these are these are really different. I mean, you know, you think about what companies are are you know um, caring in terms of their responsibility, and also um, it's going to significantly improve their performance as a business. So there's no question about the correlations with uh, with um, operating results, and I think we're going to see that more and more over time. Oh, I definitely agree because I mean, just supply chain. A conversation I had internally with a colleague was she was. Noting like an example where I think it was a recent article, you know, where Costco was in the news because something related to the coconut milk and the vendor that they were, Mm. you know, buying the coconut milk from was using monkeys to help get the coconuts, right? And I mean, for most of us, we're like, well, what does Costco have to do with that, right? But they're looking downstream at the entire supply chain all the way down to, like I said, who's connect, who's collecting the coconuts? Is it a person? Is it a child? Is it a monkey? Like whatever it may be, but for someone like Costco to have to be responsible for that, that's a, like, to your point, that's a huge responsibility for any company to have to know every aspect of their supply chain or every aspect of their consumer or I mean, that's a huge burden to bear, but I think like directionally as consumers are interested to know those things, they want to be informed and they want to know that and they're making decisions about whether or not they buy a product or a service or not based on the integrity of the full entire supply chain that does come to bear at some point, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's really exciting because I think when we started this, I think for many companies, they were concerned with what's going on within our four walls. How do we better manage that? Um, and that's, that was important. And that the companies really had to start there. But I think very quickly that led to a deeper and, and sophistication in terms of understanding um, how do I really uh, understand and manage my supply chain 
how do I impact my supply chain in terms of improving the world? And boy, there's so many great examples of companies that are, you know, I think moving forward and doing that really well. And then there's just a lot of companies that are, I think, getting in the game and trying to Mm -hmm. catch up. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a conversation I was on the other day where we were talking about supplier diversity and the number of companies that have added a supplier diversity um, individual or a department or are starting that. And I think, um, what was coded was there was 130 different companies in this last year that have joined the collaborative of uh, supply chain, national minority supply chain um, as a co- collaboration in, co- in a group, right? And so there's definitely that consideration where companies are trying to make changes today for now and the future, which I think is exciting. Right. I think the yeah. challenge and the yeah. hard part is everyone's got these question marks as to how do I approach it? What does that look like? You know, and are looking for parties like yourself in terms of direction of where to start, right? And how do I um, do that when I have, you know, X, Y, Z in terms of resources, how do I currently deploy the resources I have while answering and addressing these other concerns that I have that are very complex? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, sometimes when we're working with companies that are early uh, in their initiatives, we're we're just starting. You know, with um, who do you uh, who do you compare yourself to? What are the companies out there that you admire? Um, what are some of their best practices? How are they How are they moving ahead? Um, how is that impacting your industry and um, and and the and the companies that are uh, in your value stream, and so it's a really it's a powerful way for companies to start with benchmarking, and then they start to get that kind of feedback from third parties from outside, and that starts to mesh in with you know what are we what is our internal strategy what are we trying to accomplish how are we meeting the needs of our of our customers, um, and then I think from there you know in doing some of that materiality analysis you start to really shape. Um, what are those those uh, kind of things that you're going to invest in? Where are you going to put your money and your time? And and that becomes a really nice roadmap. Um, and so that's I think some of the tools that companies are using, and certainly that we're you know we're seeing in terms of people who are coming to CSR Hub. And it's really exciting. It's part. It's it's for me, and and I think for for our company as a B Corp, um, you know, it's exciting to be um, helping the market and. And really improving, we hope, uh, you know, ESG performance, and also, in a sense, redefining um, what it means to what value really means. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of the end goal. And so, are most of the companies that are your clients are they looking for, like you said, the benchmarking piece? But it sounds like they're also looking to better understand how they're being measured by these parties that are in the landscape of 700 individuals, but is there also a correlation between any of the information that they release too from their impact reports or sustainability reports that you find on their websites? Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the, the nice um, ways in which people are using this kind of feedback um, because we provide tools and diagnostics for, for companies is that it does guide them in terms of where are they falling behind in terms of both there's kind of two parts of it, performance, but also storytelling. Mm-hmm. So sometimes companies are actually doing well, but they're not 
where they're really not uh, telling telling their story. Um, sometimes companies need to improve both. You know, they they really need to improve their performance, and they need to do a better job um, with their diversity and with their um, all, all sorts of factors. Uh, but I think as we're uncovering these kind of signals and helping companies um, measure and then improve, that's exciting. We're also serving, you know, investors. So we're helping investors look at companies more critically, um, do portfolio analysis, research, backtesting. We keep uh, historical data back to December of 2008. We're updating the data monthly so that it's always something fresh and we're always bringing in new sources and then, of course, refreshing all the sources that we have. And then, as I mentioned, the advisory firms that are using ESG data are expanding daily. Um, everything from, you know, the sort of the big four accounting firms mm-hmm. to uh, small, uh, you know, uh, specialized uh, consultancies and everything in between. And so the versatility of the data is expanding. And it's another reason why companies are concerned, you know, because they have to. Oh, the to awareness now... level has just like exponentially <laughs> grown, but it's grown at such a fast rate. That, that's what I'm saying yeah. for a lot of these companies to just try to keep up with that is yeah. you need a whole new like department, a whole new team of people yeah. just to yeah. uh, keep tabs on it. It's interesting. When I started in this field, you know, going back 20 years ago, often we would speak with the head of communications, mm-hmm. somebody who was more in a, a public relations role who was really trying to do a kind of a wrap. Now I'm having conversations with the CFOs, the chief uh, uh, chief counsel. You know, sometimes I'm on on with investor relations. Um, sometimes it's the operating, it's the actual, you know, COO. And so I'm finding that the the place and the role of uh, ESG and sustainability has shifted into much more of the core. Um, operational parts of, of many companies. So um, you're right. But I still find that um, resourcing is a big need and, um, and really dedicating to this area um, and, and uh, um, meeting the needs that, that companies have uh, to do this work. Well, I think it's, it's an exciting challenge. time for you. <laughs> it's an exciting time for all of us, I think, in this space, right? Um, it's also a uncertain time for those that are trying to grapple with uh, the performance metrics, the measuring of it, where do I start? But it's also an exciting time for a change. I think that's first and foremost. Yes. Like you mentioned, it's been something that's always been a part of some companies since the 90s. And it's not just something that just happened in this last year, but I would say this last year was very much that catalyst for, yeah. I think, kind of explosive change potentially which, you know, I think could be a very exciting aspect of um, what all of us look forward to in, you know, subsequent years is where do these changes go? And what does that mean for the results and the changes we can have for the individual and the communities that we may not have necessarily acknowledged fully in the past? So um, I share with you that excitement. Yeah. One other thing, the word explosive made me think of, of, of what I'm hearing outside of the United States. It, some of the really exciting things that I think are happening is that as we are a global community and we're, you know, supply chains, we're doing commerce uh, all over the world. Um, 
I think one of the things that's been very interesting is that more than half of the traffic to our, our site and, our, and to our company is from outside of the U.S. And so there's this tremendous uh, demand from Europe, Asia, uh, mm-hmm. all over the world um, for uh, improvement and for the same things that, you know, we, we may be focused here, uh, you know, in, in uh, North America. So that's been exciting to me, too, because I think we are um, seeing our interdependence and responding to this. And, of course, COVID made us much more deeply aware of our of our commonness and our oneness. So I think that's another dimension of this that's um, that's happening and, as you say, exploding. Yeah. And I think to your point, like what you're saying is I I know I've learned a lot in terms of ESRG measurement, just a lot of practices, um, you know, and methodologies being shared throughout Europe that just hadn't yet made its way, like you said, to North America <laughs> per se. And um, yeah. yet by nature of this last year, those conversations have only increased where, like you said, there has been a broader interest to, you know, look beyond the borders of each of our own respective countries, right? And really understand what are other countries doing and how are they doing, um, you know, and how are they addressing exactly. things? And like you said, even when it came down to, you know, addressing a commonality, which was uh, the virus, it's like also looking for like, how do we solve the, you know, problem of helping to limit the impact of that virus on people's lives, right? So, right, absolutely. Um, we've learned a lot in a short period of time, I think is the biggest takeaway is we've learned a lot in a very short period of time, but the acceleration too of a lot of initiatives and work that people have been doing has um, definitely exposed itself in the last year, which I think is exciting in terms of opportunities and growth and change that's yet to come. So uh, right. really appreciate your time and joining us today. I appreciate you, Cynthia, for you know being willing to join me on this podcast and just sharing your great work and your company with others. Oh. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Great to speak with you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Driving Outcomes. If you'd like to listen to or download other episodes of Driving Outcomes, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast networks. Please also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn as The Mark USA. We hope you'll join us again next week for more conversations with today's leaders who are driving for results and achieving phenomenal business outcomes. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, 
covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve one million dollars in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.